0: This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona.
1: We want to have control of things. We want to be able to make our choices. And I don't see how and why God would do this. Beloved, He is beyond your understanding, and the sooner you understand that, the greater peace you're going to have in your life. And if you continue to battle that, look, I I can't trust him if I can't comprehend all that he is, you will never, ever be able to comprehend the vastness and the greatness and the extremity of who God is.
0: Join us today as Pastor David continues teaching through the book of Romans. Pastor David will be teaching you how we're all creations of God, but not everyone is a child of God. Pastor David tackles the debate on predestination and free will. If you've received Christ, then you've been chosen. If you struggle with how God does things, you have to realize God's ways are not your ways. He is God and you are not. You'll never be able to understand everything about God. Now, here's Pastor David in the book of Romans, chapter 9, verse 4, with the conclusion of our message entitled, He is God and I am not.
1: Colossians tells us that to them, speaking of the Gentiles, to them, God willed to make known what are the riches of glory, of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And that is Christ in you, the very hope of glory. All of these things, blessed by God, all of these declarations that are now ours, all of these blessings are now given to you and I as the church every bit of it, all that was there. Does that mean that now Israel is pushed aside and we as the church now have it? No. Israel still has that blessing. Israel still has that inheritance. Israel still has the move of God working in our lives. God is not done with them yet. Now we come along and we move alongside and we also receive the tremendous amount of these blessings. Now, real quickly, again, I need to cover one quick area I'm going to do is Quick as I can, there is one passage here there in verse five that you need to be careful not to make a proof text for the divinity of Christ. I believe in the divinity of Christ. I believe that Jesus was one hundred percent God at the same time he was one hundred percent human, but unfortunately, in chapter nine verse five, the translations and depending upon your translation will speak about how clearly this may seem to you in the NIV it speaks about of Christ who is God. God over all, forever praised. Amen. And you could read that in the NIV and say, whoa, right there. that's a, the, There it is, right there. You see, you have a problem whether Jesus is God or not? Right there it is. And in different versions, it speaks of it in different ways. We could look at just the plain King James or the New American Standard Version. In the King James, it says, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever, or the New American Standard, Christ according to the flesh, who is over all, God blessed forever each one of them a little bit different of a nuance. The problem is, is in the Greek, it is not clear for us to be able to say what exactly Paul is saying. Paul could have just been putting a doxology on the end of the fact that, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all. And then he could be simply saying, blessed be the eternal God. Or he could be saying, who is the eternal God. The unfortunate thing is in the Greek, it's not clear enough to use as a proof text. Paul speaks about, again, the divinity of Christ, and throughout the New Testament, there's plenty of areas that speak of the divinity as well as the humanity of Christ. But don't use this particular verse as a proof text for yourself, because someone may try to blow you out of the water on it. The understanding is, yes, he is divine, and yes, he is human. 100%, 100%, yet full together. Not my math, but it's God's math. So we see all of these there. So let's now continue on to the verse in order that we can get through this morning. In verse 6, Paul continues on. He says, But it's not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Now he's starting to speak about these blessings that are of Israel's, and God had done all this for Israel. He says, But you need to understand, it's not that the word is ineffective, because not all who are Israel really are Israel. You say, no, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. You say that they're Israel, but they're not really Israel. Well, what are you trying to speak of here, and what are you declaring? Well, now in verse 7 he says, nor are they all children, because they're the seed of Abraham. Okay, so now it's They're the descendants of Abraham, but they're not the descendants of Abraham. Paul, are are you getting confused? Has the stoning been a little tough on you of late? What, What are you trying to say? Please, stick with us on this, because here is where we're starting to get into some deep water. But yet, you need to understand. He said, he refers back to the promise of the Old Testament, where, again, it declared that in Isaac your seed shall be called that is those who are the children of the flesh these are not the children of god but the children of the promise are counted as the seed for this is the word of promise at that at this time i will come and sarah shall have a son so what he's speaking is is that not everyone who is born of the seed line of the descendants of abraham are really and truly what he is calling the children of Abraham. Or to put it in another way, as he does, not everyone who is created by God is a child of God. And many times I hear people talking, well, aren't we all children of God? Well, beloved, no, we're not. We're all creations of God. But the only way that we become children of God is through the work of adoption. And that adoption comes through faith. And that's what Paul is trying to drive home here. And he speaks there in verses 6 through 9, this whole idea of Isaac and Ishmael. And where, our, and Isaac was the son of promise, and Ishmael was a work of the flesh. And he says, I'm not going to bless the work of the flesh. I'm going to bless only the work of faith, the work of the promise. Now, that one is kind of easier for us to understand and see. Abraham got a little ahead of the Lord. The Lord made a promise, I will bless your seed in all nations. And since Sarah couldn't have a child, they figured out in their flesh, in their own brain, in their own time, to move ahead of God, I'll take Hagar, your handmaid, I'll have a child with her, and God will bless through Ishmael. And God says, no, I'm not going to bless through Ishmael. I told you I'm going to give you a child through Sarah. And the blessings and the promises are going to go through Isaac. That one we can understand, why God would choose Isaac over Ishmael. But the problem is, it gets a little bit deeper. Paul doesn't let us just stay there. In verse 10, he goes on, And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, and then he puts his big parenthesis in here, For the children, not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. Well, it was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. And as it's written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now we're starting to get into some deep water. You see, two children, born of the same mom and dad, Isaac, the one who is the bearer of the promises of Abraham, and Rebecca having a child. It's not two separate times of childbirth. Man, it is so impacted and so demanding of our thought processes. These are twins that are going to be born at the same time. And the word came to uh, uh, Rebecca as she was carrying these. She's feeling like there's this big battle going on inside. And sure enough, the word came and says, there is a battle. It's two nations that are fighting within you. And it turns out that the older is going to serve the younger, which is totally different than what Judaism and most of that culture would have. The older would be the preeminent one, and the younger would serve. But no, God came and says, no, the older is going to serve the younger. Why would that be? Well, Paul puts in that little parenthesis. Not yet even being born, nor having done any good or evil that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. Beloved, this is not the deal that God, standing above, looks down and looks at the life of Esau and looks at the life of Jacob and says, oh, yeah, okay, well, I'm going to choose Jacob because I see how they're going to turn out. The fact is, is, Esau was a rascal and he was very much a man after the flesh. We know that. But we also know that Jacob was a rascal. He was a trickster. He was a deceiver. There was nothing good of either one. Neither one of them were a prize. Neither one of them were somebody that says, Man, I hope my daughter marries that one. Both of them had problems. And for some reason, God chose Jacob in order that it wouldn't be of works. He did it even before they were born. I can understand Isaac and Ishmael. Now we're talking about a little bit more difficulty. We're talking about Esau and Jacob, both born in essence at the same time, but God chose one over the other. But beloved, remember, He is God and you are not. And He is doing a work and determining a plan and a purpose for His own desires. And we see this work. He says He did it for the purpose of God according to election might stand. Not of works, but of him who calls. He says, the older shall serve the younger. Then we move on into verses 14 and 16. If that wasn't enough, he continues on a little bit deeper into this thing. And he begins in verse 15 or 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. He asked the question that many of us would say. And this whole idea, what shall we say then? Paul brings multitude of times throughout the book of Romans. It's kind of like he casts this thing out that is going to give us a real hard time understanding. He says, okay, how are you going to deal with this? What are you going to say about this? Remember, we dealt with it several times earlier on in Romans. He says, okay, grace covers the, the multitude of our sins. So, what do you say about this? Shall we keep on sinning that grace may abound? How are you going to deal with this? He says, certainly not. Well, here he kind of brings the same deal. Okay, here's what election is. This is what God's plan and purpose is. So what are you going to do with that? Does that mean that God is unfair? And he declares, certainly not. And then he goes on in verse 15, he says, And he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion And this declaration came in Exodus in that passage around chapters 32 and 33 where the children of Israel, while Moses was up on Mount Sinai, the children of Israel built the fire and out jumped the gold calf and they began to worship Him and turned away from Jehovah God and began to worship this golden idol. And God says, well, that's it, Moses, I'm going to wipe them all out and I'm going to start fresh with you. And Moses, and I love it, he had a heart of a pastor. He says, Lord, don't wipe them all out. If you wipe them all out, then take me too. Well, I can say he has a heart of a pastor because there was a time earlier that he said, well, Lord, they're your people. Why don't you take them out and just you and me, we'll continue on. So we pastors, we do go through that thing back and forth. But this time he's shown, you know, he, did the, he gave the right answer. He said, Lord, if you're going to take them out, then take me too. And then God gave him this very, very powerful word. He says, Moses, you need to understand. I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. Moses, I am God, and you're not. And beloved, that becomes very difficult for many of us to understand. As a matter of fact, Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, Early 1900s, a very powerful man of God. As he was preaching through this section of Romans one time, a young woman came to him after the service and said, Dr. Spurgeon, I have a great problem. I have a great question about this passage. Why would God hate Esau? And Spurgeon looked at the young lady and says, Madam, the problem is, is you're asking the wrong question. The question should be is, why would God love Jacob? That's the question. But there's an even greater question, he continued on to her. The greater question would be is, why would God love me? And yet he does. And yet he works and moves in our lives. The question is, is why would God love you? I'll give you a heads up here. Ain't none of us a prize. Because all of us were dead in our trespasses and sin. And yet while we were still enemies of God, God loved us and gave Christ to save us. Verse 16 is what I call an ego buster. It says, So then, it's not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. That blows you and me out of the water. As a matter of fact, ego, you can think of that word ego, edging God outside. Edging God outside. Ego. And every time my ego comes up, I'm pushing God aside. I'm saying, no, let me be God for a while. And God says, no. No, no, that's not going to work. And you ought to be glad that he does say that. But we move on into verses 17 through 18. Very quickly, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, now we've come to this third area. And he says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I've raised you up, that I may show my power in you, that my name may be declared in all the earth. Okay, now there's even a greater issue, even deeper waters, that God would raise someone up Literally, for destruction. Now, that ought to mess up your head, because I know it does mine. To try and figure out, okay, God, how do I deal with that? And how and where does that all fit in to to my understanding of these things? Now, you can take it and you can kind of ease your understanding by saying, well... Pharaoh made all of these choices in his life. After all, he was born after generations of idol worship there in Egypt. They had all their pagan uh, idols that they worshipped, and God knew and saw that Pharaoh was a pagan worshiper, and all he did was solidify all the choices that Pharaoh had made all through his life and generations before him, and God just solidified that. But beloved, that's not really what it says here. It says, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be declared on the earth. Think of it this way. If Moses had gone to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, and Pharaoh says, well, let's see, you guys have been serving us for 400 years. You've been building all of our buildings for us so that we don't have to do the manual labor, and you want to leave us now? Oh, sure, no problem. And, well, and by the way, here's the treasures of Israel, t- or of Egypt, too. Why don't you take those with us, with you? Hey, you guys go and have a great life. Bye bye. And they left there and they wandered out into the wilderness. There would have been nothing spectacular about that. But as it was, Because Pharaoh says, no, you're not leaving. You've been slaves and you're still slaves. And I've got this great army that's going to hold you there. It was Almighty God that drew them out of Egypt. And as he drew them out of Egypt, he parted the Red Sea that they might go across on dry land. Why? Because they needed to move fast. Because Pharaoh's army was in pursuit. And then God took Pharaoh's army and wiped them out. Obliterated them. Totally. So now that they're moving into the wilderness, the nations that they're moving into, they hear the stories. Wow! These are the guys that their God dried up the Red Sea that they could cross on it. It was their God that wiped out Pharaoh's army. These guys have a powerful God. When he says, I raised you up that my name might be declared in the earth for a purpose, for a distinct purpose. God allowed Pharaoh and even presented him and made him who he was. And, folks, we've got another ego buster in verse 18. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and on whom he wills, he hardens. That's difficult for our egos to understand because we want to have control of things, we want to be able to make our choices. And I don't see how and why God would do this. Beloved, He is beyond your understanding. And the sooner you understand that, the greater peace you're going to have in your life. And if you continue to battle that, look, I I can't trust Him if I can't comprehend all that He is, you will never, ever be able to comprehend the vastness and the greatness and the extremity of who God is. This next section in the following verses, which we won't get to today, but it comes back with another question. In essence, how do you deal with the wrong questions of life? Because there's a lot of wrong questions that you have in your own life, as well as people that you speak to about Christ will have in their life. He says there in verse 19, so you're going to say to me then, why does he still find fault? If God hardens who He will, and, and he, he raises up some for destruction, and God gives mercy to some and, and not to others, then how does He find fault? And beloved, again, that's the wrong question. And Paul's going to deal with that in the coming verses, but you don't have time for that this morning. And I could leave right now. And we'll have a closing prayer, and you're going to leave out of here going, "Wow, how, how desperate is this?" Understand. Paul didn't stop and just feed off a little bit and says, hey, I'll write you the next letter next week or next year. It's, it's all the same. So I need to leave you with a little bit of promise and a little bit of understanding, too, of the extremity, of the enormity, of the compassion and of the grace of God. And we find that actually in just a few verses from now, but we won't get to it for a few weeks. So let's fast forward to Romans chapter 10, verses 11, 12 and 13. Romans 10, 11 through 13. In the same passage here, and understand, Paul is declaring this all in one passage. All in one understanding. Paul gives us these words in verse 11 of chapter 10. He says, For the Scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. What is your definition of whoever? How do you define whoever? Can't you pretty well say that whoever means whoever? Whoever. There's not a limitation God's Word still says, whoever calls upon His name will not be put to shame. And then He goes on in verse 12, for there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to most of those who call upon Him. Amen? No, that's not what it says. He's rich to all. And again... The Greek understanding of what that word all means is all, all who call upon Him. And then verse 13, it, gets, it just continues to go, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So in the midst of all of this that we dealt with this morning, this predestination, this fact that he'll have mercy on whom he has mercy, and compassion on whom he has compassion, some he's going to raise up for mercy, and others he's going to harden. In the midst of all of that, the Word still comes out and says, Hey, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If any call upon me, I will answer. That's the promise of God. And you might say, well, these two things don't add up. How can I lay this one down and say there is this predestination, there is election, there is this work of God that's going on, but yet at the same time he's saying whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Beloved, it's God's math. It's not mine. And it's the same math that says that Jesus is 100% human and he's 100% God. And in the same way, it is a predestination, election foreknowledge, and calling of God. And at the same time, it is a whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord. There's no difference between Jew or Greek, barbarian or Scythian, male or female. All of those come together and anyone can call upon the name of the Lord. And if they call upon the name of the Lord... They will be saved. That's the hope and the promise that you and I have. That's the hope and the promise that we have for those loved ones who for years and years and years and years have turned their heart and head away from the things of God. They've turned their heart and mind away from the compassion of God and the work of God and the miracles of God. They continue to shake a fist at God, but yet the Word declares that even in that, should they call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. That's the hope that's the promise that's the assurance that we have that god anyone comes to him he will in no wise cast out so really i want to leave you with this question is how do you deal with your response to all that we've spoken today you can be rebellious and angry and frustrated because God is God and you're not or you can simply say Lord I surrender all all to you I owe I bow my knee to your greatness and to who you are how do you respond to the declaration that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved right now you can bow your knee to the sovereign one and cry out to him for salvation and the word declares to you 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 will be saved the very promise of God
0: if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be saved what does it mean to confess with the mouth and believe Pastor David will answer these questions and more as he teaches through the Book of Romans. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the Open Word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for worship on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Finally, we want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter at The Open Word Radio. Or log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link right there on the homepage. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with David Landry. Please join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the Book of Romans. That's next time on The Open Word.